Hi, I'm Paul, and this is Archonnect Sessions, episode 151. Today, Donna, Ken, and I were planning on quickly catching up and introducing a number of conversations that we've been having with architects from around the country and even outside of the country about what they're going through right now in light of the uh, coronavirus pandemic and the resulting impacts that it's having on the economy and our jobs. We ended up talking for much longer than we were originally planning. So we have about an hour of a conversation today to share between the three of us, just kind of catching up on what we've been going through and what we've been seeing and what we've been experiencing around us. And we will be following this up in the next few days by beginning with uh, sharing some of those conversations that we've had. So uh, we hope that you will listen to our conversation today and, and get something out of it. And we highly encourage you to tune in to the upcoming episodes where we share these conversations with members of the community. They were all really, really great to, to listen to, to see how people are dealing with this very difficult situation that we're all experiencing right now and ways that we can utilize this time in the most effective way and and ways that we can perhaps even look towards changing our industry to improve the conditions uh, in terms of business and perceived value and better live-work balance going forward. So I hope you enjoy this conversation between Donna and Ken and I, and uh, we look forward to sharing the other conversations in the coming days and weeks. So how are you guys doing? <laughs> Donna, you first. You staying healthy? I'm hanging in there. I read a really great, helpful Twitter feed yesterday or the day before about which, first of all, let's just go ahead and put get out of the way the fact that I went in four weeks from my average screen time on my iPhone being like four hours a day to t like 10 hours a day because we're all just trying to stay connected at this point. So, but I read a great Twitter feed or post and we can maybe link to it about the, the fact that our brains right now are in pandemic trauma mode. Like we are feeling this outrageous amount of anxiety and stress over just not knowing what's going to happen next. And that I think most people I know are feeling like, and especially architects, because we do this to ourselves, we feel like we're not accomplishing enough. We're not working hard enough. We're not doing enough. And it's all because our brains are basically switching into survival mode. And it makes it much harder to just focus on, you know, doing the door schedule when your brain is mostly occupied with just, okay, what's going to happen tomorrow? What's Trump going to do today? What's going to, you know, is my family sick? What if I need to mail something? Can I go to the post office? We're just dealing with an extraordinary amount of anxiety. So I would say overall, given how much anxiety we are all feeling right now and how worried I am about everyone, I'm staying pretty, pretty healthy. I'm doing pretty well. How about you guys? Ken, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah. And the way I describe it to people and to describe it to everybody, because this is the only kind of way I could make sense of it, um, is it's like uh, that nightmare that you have where you're falling uh, endlessly and there's a ladder in front of you. And if you just grab the rung of the ladder, you can kind of stop falling. But the ladder is always seemingly just outside the Ugh. tips of your fingers. And you know how you painfully are grasping at something you, you should be able to yeah. get. And you can't get a hold of it. Yep. And um, it took me about 10 days and I finally got a hold of a rung. <laughs> <laughs> and I stopped, I stopped stressing. And part of part of doing that was stop going to the Johns Hopkins COVID site. Oh, expecting oh, that man. the numbers would trend down. Yeah. I just had to resign myself to this is we're not even anywhere close to getting better. And stop looking at it, expecting that, you know, like you're watching. Super Bowls, uh, a Super Bowl, and you're watching, waiting. You know, you're you're looking at it from afar, and you're like, "Come on, your team's going to make it. They're, they're on the four yard line. They're going to get in." So I, once I stopped doing that, and I stopped consuming news at all endlessly. Mm -hmm. So I, I relegated to morning. Check out the New York Times, Washington Post. Listen to some MSNBC in the morning. Go to work, and then I check in with my governor at night. And it's the only thing that's kind of mm -hmm. kind of gotten into that routine. Um, so. That, you know, that's, yeah, that, that seems that, healthy. I mean, that honestly seems healthy. Paul, what about you? Well, I uh, totally agree with Ken. It's, uh, it's so important to stay informed, but also be moderate in the amount of news and information we're all taking in because I personally have seen a 
direct correlation with my stress and how much news I'm I'm taking in. And, uh, you know, there's a certain point where you just don't need any more news. But it's funny, Ken, that you mentioned the uh, dreams. I woke up this morning and my wife was like, she right away, she was like, I can't believe that like my in my dreams now, everybody is wearing masks. So <gasps> wow. it's, it's officially, it's our new lifestyle is, has officially entered uh, yeah. her dreams now where it's, uh, it's just, yeah, I don't know. Are, are, it, are people wearing masks everywhere in Indianapolis and Minneapolis like they are here in LA? When I do go to the grocery store or something, yes, most people are. Ken? It's uh, 50-50. Okay. Even, okay. I don't have a mask yet waiting for mine to come because, you know, I'm not, I'm trying to get like, I don't have a sewing machine or so I'd make my own cloth oh, mask. So. You should have told me. I'll send you one. I've been sewing them. I'll send you one. So I've been using a scarf and, and it's weird because this scarf irritates my nose. So it makes my nose run. So it gets really frustrating to wear something on my face until, so I do the best I can, but you know, I'm never in any conversation with anybody other than uh, Linda. So, but let's also face the big problem that architects have glasses fog up. Uh, my yes. my glasses get fogged up. Every time I wear a mask, my glasses get fogged up. So I've gotten sort of used to that. You know, I breathe, my glasses fog up, and then they it fades down to clear again, and I can continue my conversation. It's really annoying, though. I, I have not cracked that nut yet of how to wear a mask and wear glasses. Well, the, the weirdest thing that's on the ground, and it's kind of, it's kind of interesting, uh, the weirdest thing on the ground here in Minneapolis is kind of like what's happening in Venice. But in Minneapolis. So raccoons will be walking across. You, you, you've both been on that busy late, busy street outside my house, right? Not, not the one that in, not mm-hmm. the one the I big live one. on. Yeah. yeah. The big one. So that street is typically pretty busy during the day. And I had told Linda, I said, you know, she walks the dog pretty early in the morning. And I said, you be careful. And she's like, why should I be careful? And I said, well, there's fewer people around. So there's going to be a lot more wildlife because we live five blocks from the river. So there's going to be a lot more wildlife on your walks. And she kind of poo-pooed it. And I said, trust me, it's already happening in Venice. There's, there's porpoises and dolphins coming into, the, into Venice. So one day, that same day, a couple hours later, she was walking up the street. There was a raccoon in the middle of the day walking across the busiest street in my neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. And then... Now, when she walks in the morning, she's been seeing this coyote tracking her. Yeah, and Mac. So we have we have that, and that's you know I, you're talking about sleeping at night. I've been having nightmares, reoccurring nightmares about this uh, coyote turning and manifesting itself into a wolf or something like that. Yeah, becoming pretty violent and, and taking out dogs. So yeah, yeah it's a. Uh, it's it's a very strange world we're in right now. Last night I've been going for night bike rides lately. I've got a like a, a very bright light and uh rear lights and everything. So it's it's actually great. I love riding my bike at night. But last That's night awesome. I was riding my bike near our house and a coyote the size of a large wolf jumped right in front <gasps> of me out of the bushes and I came so close to hitting it. It's it's I mean, wow. I have seen so much wildlife. I was taking my dog on a hike the other day in these trails behind our house. And there were gigantic, fresh bear tracks. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I think the animals are loving it. I'm glad the animals are happy and I'm glad the air is so clear. And I mean, I see this, um, Paul, with where you live in L.A., all these pictures of L.A. It's gorgeous. It's heartbreakingly beautiful how clear the air is. It's, you know, that's wonderful. That's a great silver lining to this. Yeah, it's been clear. And here in L.A., it's been raining a lot, too. It's It stopped a few days ago. But so everything is so green. It, it feels like looks like Hawaii here. It's a very different kind of feeling with bright blue skies and and uh, puffy clouds and green green hills. So I'll take that. Uh, on a more, you know, just quotidian note, I so I myself, I've been working from home for f- I'm on my 5th week now. Our firm did not officially go to work from home until I'd, I'd say 4 weeks ago where where our governor of Indiana, who I think has been doing a reasonable job, basically said, "Okay, it's time to shut things down." So, but a couple of Myself and a couple other coworkers had already started working from home because I had a little bit of a cold. I wasn't sure what it was. I have a coworker who has asthma. Like we, a few of us had just sort of said, I'm working from home now. And I'm working on a few projects, some local, some not. And I got to say, the work from home thing is going really well for me. 
I'm aware that I'm in a white collar, upper class sort of bubble that lets work from home be a thing that's actually quite simple, especially because I don't have young children at home. I have a 16 year old. So if I had a, if I had young kids at home right now, I'd be a basket case, absolutely a basket case. But it's been going pretty well. And I have to say my team, the sort of countrywide team that I'm working on one big project with, we're actually staying really well connected through Zoom meetings, through MS Teams chat, through all kinds of different channels. And I have to say, I think that this is going to provoke a much stronger call for many employees to say, I want to work from home or I want to work from home at least two days a week or one day a week or whatever. I feel like that's going to come. Definitely. I, I think that one of the silver linings of what, what we're going through right now is this mass requirement that everybody adopt remote working skills. And yeah. and there have been so many people that have avoided the technology like a plague, which mm-hmm. is probably a pretty bad <laughs> reference right now. But uh it's excellent. But it's it's uh yeah, I mean we're we're going to be returning to a very different workplace, you know, and I think, I mean, what I've been saying is I I have a feeling this might be really hard on urban communities, like larger cities, because employers are also going to become much more proficient in working with people remotely. And they might start saying like, you know, maybe we, maybe we hire somebody from Iowa for Mm -hmm. half the price than hiring somebody here in New York city for for so much more. So, you know, it might have a big, uh, a big impact on these, you know, these second cities and rural communities where people can, can take big city jobs and, and work remotely now that everybody's becoming so good at it. That seems totally likely to me. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Ken, what's your work from home situation? When did you guys do the switch? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting when I was, when I first came to Minneapolis in 2006, the firm I was with was already kind of doing something similar to this already where they were outsourcing, man, it gave us a lot of flexibility to do to work projects 24-7. So we had a firm in Malaysia working on our red lines while we were sleeping. So that kind of thing, will, oh, well, I think you're right. I think it's going to be harder, though, for architecture firms to practice that way um, because so, much, so many firms now are not going to the old style of hiring CAD people anymore. They're hiring graduates from architecture program. So where whereas a lot of the people that we were working with were never they weren't architects. They were just CAD people. They didn't really have a fundamental understanding or a need to know basic construction practices or detailing, or they just picked up red lines. But and plus we have to, you know, we're still client facing profession. So we still need to sit down and meet with people, even if it's virtually. So I'm hoping, I, I know what you're thinking. I know that's, it's probably going to be to some degree go that way, but I think not as much. I think the bigger problem that architects are going to find is that if remote working does occur more so, there's going to be a less of a need for our services to design the kind of offices that used to house <laughs> the kinds of people that would run businesses. I mean, you're already talking about that, uh, you know, architects have to think about now how do we design restaurants going forward? Yeah. How do we how do we think about hospitality? How do we think about retail anymore? So or open floor plans. Open floor plans, you know, all of that stuff. And open yeah. floor plans apparently is a trend that needs needed to die for some people anyway. <laughs> I never understood why. Um in small maybe it's maybe it's the large offices that need to get rid of that, but but I, I actually um, you know, the Everybody's been asking, you know, everybody I talk to and everybody is uh, been having conversations with, they ask me, so how's it, how's it working from home? And I said, well, you know, I have a little bit of a more nuanced perspective on this because Linda's been remote working uh, for mm-hmm. the county for over 10 years now. Yeah. So that experience to me is something that I always was, I told her, I said, I'm jealous of that experience because I think I would work better if I could work remotely, have a sense of autonomy, still be connected to people on the project team and, and still feel like that, that is, and it's, it's been fantastic. I love it. Paul, how are you guys? How's Arconnect dealing with it? Can you talk about that? Well, we, we all switched to working from home probably about five days before the city of LA told everyone to start doing that. I saw it coming. It became quite clear that, that it was going to be required. And also we had one of our 
One one person in our staff was actually just returning back from three weeks traveling all over Europe. And there were a few of us in our office that were a little concerned because at that point, mm-hmm. it was all over Europe. It, it hit, hadn't yeah. really impacted the U.S. yet. So immediately we decided, okay, she has to work from home for sure. But then I, then I, I just suggested everybody do it because fortunately our office, you know, we're, we're all quite proficient in, in remote working either, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, because many of the people in our office have, have kids. And sometimes that requires just, you know, taking your kid to a a doctor's appointment in the morning and maybe working the rest of the day at home or, or, Mm -hmm. uh, working while traveling. So the work from home thing has been, has been working out pretty well. But as I said, most of us have kids at home and my kids are much older than theirs. And my kids are 10 and 13, which is fairly independent. It's still really difficult to to stay focused, especially with our son, who is just like me when I was a, a kid, <laughs> demanding attention all day long. You know, hey, dad, yep. check this out. Check out this flip I can do on the trampoline. You know, it's just like it's nonstop yeah. throughout the day. And I love it. <laughs> I mean, I love spending the, this extra time with the kids, but it's also it makes working pretty hard. But the other people in my office that have kids have m- much younger kids. So it's yeah. really tricky for them. And I mean, of course, our business is getting destroyed like like so many businesses in in architecture so you know by far the most stress that i'm having is just keeping keeping people and keeping our our staff going and you know it's hard to it's hard to push through and work work in the conditions that we're facing right now where we're seeing negative impacts to you know a balance sheet every day yeah. while yeah. There's so much important information that gets out there. So we've really been focusing a lot on providing the kind of information that we believe our audience is especially needing right now, which is a lot of information. We've been doing a lot of surveys, uh, asking architecture firms, firm owners what they're going through, workers what they're going through. We've been trying to make sense out of out of how this is impacting everybody. We've been sharing stories about you know how the architecture community is working through this. One of the biggest stories that we've been sharing is is ways that the architecture community is coming together and mobilizing to help with you know healthcare workers like with the mm-hmm. Alvin Wong and um, many mm-hmm. of the other individuals in in our community that have been putting aside their time to yeah. creating PPE equipment for for healthcare workers stuff that the government should be doing you know and but, yeah <laughs> but we are the the community is leveraging the tools and the experience and the knowledge to to do that and because of that it's especially disheartening seeing how few architecture firms are getting reciprocal support from the government we just released a a survey the other day asking firm owners about their their loan funding you know the SBA uh, programs yeah. like the PPP, the PPP. Uh-huh. programs and the EIDL disaster loan programs and there's such a small number of architecture firms out there that have received anything so far so it's it's really it's really unfortunate we don't know why you know there's a lot of theories about how this this money is being distributed there's you know just today i i was looking through a list of of so many publicly traded gigantic companies that have received millions and millions and millions of dollars oh. from, through for, for for you know that was that was dedicated to the small business program so it's yeah it's a very frustrating time you know, we're, it is. but, but it's so admirable seeing the architecture community actually putting aside, you know, adjusting the priorities and, and utilizing their skills and experience to, to help the common good of our citizens and, and, and the people on the front lines. Paul, you seem to be baiting me here. <laughs> are you asking, are you baiting me for, for a, an early or a late rant in the, in the, in the Ken, podcast? Ken, it's not, AIA? it's not, it's not very hard to bait you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it isn't. I am. I am. You. You can throw out the smallest crumb, and I, if it has anything to do with the AIA, I will. I will sniff it out like my dog does. Yeah, that's what we love. Go, about Ken. You. Go for it. You know, one of the. I think early it was deeply frustrating, as usual, with the AIA. Their first go again from our favorite Bob Ivy was to really talk about the basically from a business standpoint trying to put us out there and, and architect our way through this crisis. You know, if you read his statement, it was, and maybe I already, because I have a personal, I just have, just don't like the, the, the organization anymore that I have a really 
anything that they put out always seems like it's not very well considered, not put to any kind of rigorous cross, you know, even someone in there to kind of say, Bob, this probably comes off a little bit more business focused and rather than, you know, trying to help people, it sounds like we're trying to protect the industry instead of protecting lives. And that's how it came off. And then there was, um, you know, the first few weeks of March, I was fretting going to work. I knew that, you know, you had to, you had to run a gauntlet against an invisible enemy. So trying to manage what was you couldn't see, and nobody here was taking it seriously. No one in the profession was taking it seriously. And then all of a sudden, the governor decides he's going to mandate stay at home. And all of a sudden, architects became, at first, it wasn't that way. So they mandated stay at home. We heard it was like, okay, now you have to stay at work from home. And then like the next day, the um, architects were put as made essential workers. And I had a feeling, I had a sense that that the lobby, which is what the AIA is at the end of the day, uh, the lobbying organization made architects essential workers without taking into consideration who the workers were. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's the mm -hmm. beauty of like what architecture lobby does is that they they are they have always been concerned about the precarity of the architectural worker, not about the business owner, mm -hmm. not about the firm owner. Right. The firm only 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 has the firm interest in mind. They don't have everybody else's interest in mind. So it certainly wasn't workers who ran into the fire and said, hey, governor, you got to make us essential workers. It certainly was, had to have been firm owners so, who made that case to the state. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to play a little bit of a contrarian here. Um, cool. I have been blessed in my life to mostly work in architecture firms, including the one I'm at currently, that truly care about the people that work with them, for them, their employees. Um, as people, as humans, but the prime directive of capitalism is what I heard from a firm owner many, many, many years ago that was, you have to get the job first. The most important thing is to get the job. You get the project, you get the contract that's, that will pay you, and then you deal with whatever needs to come afterwards. That's capitalism. That is what firm owners are supposed to do. I have been lucky in my life to work mostly for firm owners who went way beyond that first directive and thought about who are their people, who is their community, is this project good for everyone, not just for my bottom line, but for the community, for my workers, for the people who live in my city, wherever. And I feel like I tend to have a sort of Pollyanna view of it because I have mostly worked for architecture firms that are that way. But in a system of capitalism, the goal of the firm is to make money. That's their number one. That's their prime directive. So I think those of us that have been lucky enough, like me, to work for a firm where they actually care about people, we see a future. We can see a future where um, people can work and not be exploited. And I, I think that's possible. I My hope for this COVID situation is that more people will realize that, yes, we can work in a way that people are not exploited, that, you know, the guy who's who's fixing the ventilator in the hospital, the janitor, whatever, who's keeping the hospital clean, that work is extremely valuable and that person should not be exploited. And if that means that the the CFO of the hospital makes 40 percent less so that the guy who's swabbing the floors can make 150 percent more and have a good life. That's my hope that that is what will come out of this event. Um, but again, the AIA is about the firm owners and the businesses. That's yes. their directive. I'd love to change the AIA. That's way low on my priority list to just making sure that the janitor gets paid well. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I totally, I love the architecture lobby. I, I, I uh, fully support everything they're doing. But I think the messaging that they've given since this crisis has started has been a little bit... I mean, they are on the, they're, they're, of course, they're, they're supporting the worker, not the firm or the business owners, but there needs to be, there needs to be a little understanding on both sides that for business owners right now in industries that are getting really heavily affected, I mean, many businesses have seen an instant complete drop in, in revenue or projects. Yeah. And so it needs to be understood on both sides of, on the workers and the employer side, that this is not like a situation, you know, I think a lot of business owners are really, really trying as hard as they can to keep 
their companies together, you know, while, while there's yeah. no money coming in and it's costing a lot of money, you know, it costs. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I know from my experience, you know, I, I, we, Arconnect is one of the only architecture websites out there that actually was around during the last recession. And, you know, I saw our revenue drop dramatically, you know, and yeah. back then we were, it was the first recession that I had ever experienced as a business owner. I wasn't expecting it, but that was one of the lessons that I took, you know, like I was like, okay, if this happens again, I'm going to be prepared. You know, we had to, I spent years kind of putting, putting aside runway, you know, in case of another situation like this, but the last recession did not happen. I mean, the change was not as, as abrupt as, as this was, you know, starting on May 13th, it's like the lights were shut off and architecture is extremely vulnerable uh, industry, you know, when, when something like that happens, we know that when things start turning around for most people, that's probably just the beginning of things starting to turn around for architects because there's, there's a, there's a delay, you know, and, and there's, we're going to see, we're going to see quite a while where, you know, where it's, uh, until, you know, people are, are hired again. It's a pretty serious situation. So, you know, while every business owner would love to be able to, you know, keep like give everybody time off work or, or, you know, reduce hours in order to, cause obviously everybody is, is trying to keep their lives together, including their kids and everything at the same time as working. Like, how can you, how can you really, how can many people out there even put in a full, a full day yeah. of work when yeah. they're, when they're juggling that. But from the business owner's perspective, it's like on top of losing most of your projects in an architecture firm, you know, you're also losing a lot of the accessible resources in terms of, of staff. So it's, it's really hard. It's hard for everybody. So, I mean, while, while the AIA is, is fighting for the business owners and architecture lobby is fighting for the workers, there's, you know, I, I, I hope that, that, you know, that both sides are, are able to kind of empathize with the other side you know, and, and see that this is a, this is a major struggle for everyone. I agree with a lot of what you've said. And I think part of the issue, my issue is, is that right now we're not going to architect ourselves out of this problem. Right. We're not going to build a better building to solve this virus. We're not going to build a better space to solve this particular issue. So when I see, when I see people like Alvin and Mitch and Ursula um, and others, Norman Foster's office, all very well accomplished design professionals, their motivation is to architect the problem and see it as a, as a, as a problem, as a, what's the question? I said this on Midnight Charette last week, I think I was on, and I said, I read this quote attributed to Albert Einstein. If you gave me an hour to solve a problem, I'd spend the first 55 minutes thinking about the problem and the last five minutes solving it. Mm -hmm. AIA spent five minutes thinking about the problem (laughs) and 55 minutes crafting a letter. And I agree that there needs to be this, I I think by and large, most of the architecture firms that we're talking about who are like Donna's, um, who are some of the the ones that really are, who don't have a fear, an embedded fear about working remotely, because the first impression of the people who have the biggest fear about working remotely is the person getting the work done. Well, what is that question? What's the real question that's being implicit? What's the implied problem? The implied problem is I don't trust you as an employee to be able to work independently. Exactly. One of the reasons why they hire you is your self-motivation and your ability to work independently. We're supposed to be adults in this thing. Now, you know what? I wor- I've, I'm working harder at home than I do when I go to the office. I work, my hours are pretty much what I make them. But you know what? If I get up at five o'clock in the morning, I, like today, I was up at 4.45 I logged on to my VPN into my into my firm and I was processing shop drawings at 5.15 this morning mm-hmm. and I worked till about 3.30. What's great about that situation is, is that I can get a lot of work done and I have a day and I don't have to worry about driving in the work, even if it's 15 minutes, which is what it is. But it's still, you know what you find out is, even if you have to drive 15 minutes away, an hour of your day is wasted in getting ready, driving to work, managing to get up into the building, settling in at work. And then, you know, at the end of the day, packing up and it's a strain and you don't realize how much of a strain it is until you actually are forced to work remotely and forced to work, to respond, work responsibly. I think that is where I think the rubber is going to hit the road for everybody is that 
one, they're going to find out their workers are a hell of a lot more productive than they thought and that they can trust those people a lot more than they thought they could. And that's where I think that if the architecture lobby really wants to work on something that I think is, is a tangible and achievable goal, working remotely and for in some measure of the week after all of this is going to be essential to being a, having a healthy and happy and productive career in this profession as working for a firm. This has to be. If we can't get better pay, at least we can have better working conditions. And I feel that I have a better working condition at home than I do at work. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, I think that that's, that is something that I'm hoping will will stick when things get back to normal. I hope so, too. Let me just add this because it's it's a per, I'm able to get the perspective from both sides because I'm an employee at my firm, but my husband owns his own business. My husband was able to get one of the PPP loans. So assuming that he keeps all of his employees working, he will be able that's like that's free money from the government. Right. But what I keep thinking about is if you were a small business owner and right when this hit, you immediately laid off your entire staff so that they could get unemployment insurance. It's still a bunch of money that the government is just giving us back, right? It's our taxpayer dollars that are going in to fund these things anyway. As far as I can see, the federal government shouldn't really care whether that money is going out of the balance sheet for unemployment insurance or for paying people to not be at work. So like my husband's work is he does fabrication work. So his people actually have to be in the in the space doing the work. They can't work from home. Whereas people like me can work from home. But if my firm had at the start of this just said, we're laying everyone off because there was no more income, I'd be getting money from the government through unemployment. If I'm getting money staying at home, not working from a loan from the government versus from unemployment from the government, I don't see the difference. So as far as I'm concerned, the federal government really should have pushed this PPP program better and made it so that people would know that they could, you know, you're 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 going to get income one way or another. We're all paying taxes into that fund. How it goes out to me doesn't really matter. But the employer is not going to be able to have that that payment forgiven if they if they lay off. Exactly. Exactly. So the point was that at the beginning of this crisis, either you lay people off because you know you don't have any more income and they get money through unemployment or you keep your workers on because you know that you're going to get money to be able to keep paying them to do their jobs, even though you don't have contracts, private contracts with people. So you're keeping your people paid one way or another. Either they're working for you or they're not. But one way or another, you're getting the workers are still able to pay their mortgage, to pay their, you know, to buy groceries, all that stuff. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's so many small businesses out there that have been keeping their staff employed, assuming that the PPP money was coming in. And now all of a sudden, you know, according to our survey last week, 90 percent of the firms that we surveyed have received nothing. So now now they're not only going to get that money that they need, you know, this could potentially be shutting a lot of a lot of businesses down. Right, which means, and those people are now going to go and get the unemployment insurance, which it's still money coming out of the federal government, yep. which they could have gotten if the PPP had been more widespread and more efficiently rolled out in such a way that people could keep paying, paying their employees. It's just, oh, I just, the system is so broken. I don't even know what to do. I, I <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. They don't even think, this is how stupid this, this, this country is or these people are in, in, in Washington, you force the people, you force firms to lay off people, right? Those people collect money. They would have gotten if you've given the firms the money. Right Now those firms don't have the people to produce the work for the, uh, the, the clients that they exactly. have, thereby affecting oh. their bottom lines. <laughs> and, and not to mention anyone who's laid off no longer has health insurance because of the stupid fucked up way that we get yeah. healthcare in this country. Oh my God. So the, the idiot, the idiocy on, on Arconnect now is like, we should open it up. We should open back up. There's several people on there who don't fucking understand that we can't, like today, just today, the governor of Minnesota announced that we finally, we have finally have a reliable, we, we, the state now, not the federal government, has finally developed a reliable test that they can start testing people 20,000, I think, a day, 20,000 a day here in Minnesota. We're just now getting that. And somebody did the math, the quick math based on the population of Minnesota and how many days that would take. It's 260 something days until we have full testing in the state of Minnesota. 
260. That's that's a fucking that's almost three quarters of the year. I mean, we're talking about that's the rest of this year into next year before we have fully tested everybody. And these fucking knuckleheads want to open up <sighs> the country before we have full testing. I mean, the level of stupid that exists inside the profession. I I'm, I tell people, I'm like, I don't even know who your clients are, but I surely would like to know because I would love to steal them from you because you're a complete fucking <laughs> moron. Well, I, do you guys listen to the New York Times Daily Podcast? No, I don't. Linda does. <laughs> I, I started listening to today's episode as I was riding my bike to to my office. I, I, I'm, I've been coming to my office because I'm the only one, only one mm -hmm. here while everyone uh -huh. else works at home. And today's episode, they actually they actually try to find out who was who was behind these protests that are happening around the country. And I didn't I didn't listen to the whole episode, but there's a lot of ties that go point directly to the White House. I mean, unsurprisingly, you know, I the way I see this whole kind of movement is is that it's a it's a political strategy. It's a campaign strategy. Yep. I mean, it, Trump is just setting it up so that when the economy falls apart, which at this point is inevitable, it's the Democrats' fault for not uh, pushing towards opening it back up. So I don't know. I mean, you know, honestly, I can see both sides of the of this of this argument. Right. Um, I can see I can see the side where like, yeah, I mean, there may be more deaths and more more destruction happening out of out of an economy that collapses. I mean, we are going to be seeing in the next few weeks people completely out of money. Yeah potentially dying from starvation or maybe dying from like not being able to get their medication or people that yeah. are going to become homeless. There will be a lot of catastrophes as a result of the of the economic collapse. So that is that is a real issue. I mean, it's becoming a harder issue to kind of see both sides of when it's being politicized to the point that it is right now. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I know in the very beginning of this of this crisis back in in uh, the middle of March, I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine and you know, we're both liberal people and I consider myself a caring person that puts, you know, the health and welfare of people above everything else. But, you know, the uh, there there's an argument to be seen on both sides. And, and the conversation that we had back then really was about, you know, should we should we like just completely stop the economy to to get this resolved or should we come up with some kind of very strategic way to kind of resume business but then again you know you look at the condition in some of the hospitals around the country that are completely overwhelmed still i mean still there are an incredible amount of people dying every day and there are hospitals around the country especially in new york still where it's completely out of their control and for you know from their perspective this idea of reopening the country is ludicrous i mean it's completely irresponsible so it's it's a very complicated situation but i hate seeing that that it's becoming so politicized i mean in a way it's it's super politicized because we don't have any leadership you cannot say that the trump administration is any kind of leader just trying to get this country through this situation they're just not like, I feel like that's as plain as day. But but yeah, it, I mean, it's it's incredibly challenging. Paul, you're a business owner. You see both sides. My husband's a business owner. I also empathize with my firm that that treats its employees very well. I see both sides. But this is why, to me, we have all this money. We're the richest country on the planet. Why do we not just give people money so that they can pay their bills for the next three to six months while we get through this? It seems so simple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When, you know, it, when it, it, early in the crisis, right, before it became really full blown, right, there was stock market drops. That was kind of the first really that anybody started really freaking out about because they started seeing 2008 yeah. all over again. And what happened? The Fed loosened up and put $1.5 into the system and it did jack shit. So the idea that we don't have the yeah. money, the idea that we don't have the money to, to, to deal with uh, the homelessness and yeah. all of the issues that we have in this country is batshit. It's wrong. Crazy. It's just wrong. Of course we have the money. And the one thing that I, I need to, I, that I feel like I need to remind people all the time is that we were put in the position of having to decide whether or not to open up the country or keep people at home and safe, not because we closed the country in the first place, but because we have a complete fucking baboon running <laughs> not even as smart as a baboon the goddamn country and that if he had listened to his advisors back in january 
And if they had listened to the people back in December and have been over there in China insisting that we have um, the WHO and the CDC in China managing the situation, none of this would happen. So the person who told us that he's a businessman, who's he's the only one who could solve this, he could fix any problem, decided workers didn't matter, people's health didn't matter, and yet, where are we now? We're here because of him, not because of governors of every state practicing the Tenth Amendment and states' rights. We're here because of the orange shit given <laughs> in the White House throwing his feces all over the place and not taking care of the issue when so, he should have been taking care of the issue and after he had been warned in 2017 about the issue. So at the end of the day, I come down on this. Everything that Paul said is going to happen is going to happen. And all that stuff is going to happen. There's enough money in this country to fix that problem. And you know what? Tired of like people saying there isn't. If I have to go break down a Wells Fargo to pay, <laughs> you know, to help people fucking get fed, I'll do it. I mean, I saw a report today, I think on the New York Times, there were, there's that probably this year, 265 million people on the planet are going to go hungry because of this crisis. So there's going to be a worldwide catastrophe just in terms of hunger. We have the most food on the face of the earth, and we're going to let 265 million people starve. So let me bring this back a little bit to our listeners, to our Why? listeners, to the people back. who listen to this podcast, to our architects. And we three are architects who've been in this field for a long time. We've lived through a couple recessions already, at least two, you could say three, maybe, because there was that that bad time in the late 90s. I alluded earlier to this uh, Twitter thread that I read. You guys remember how you've heard that, maybe you've heard this, it was in the news a while ago, that the people playing in like the grand master chess tournaments, like they burn tens of thousands cal of calories a day doing, just sitting there playing yeah. chess. They're burning tens of thousands of calories, right? Yeah. So this, this Twitter thread I alluded to is by someone named Alexis Rockley. And it basically says, if you're tired right now and exhausted and nervous, it's because your brain is burning 10 times as much energy as usual, because your brain is trying to cope with what we're going through right now. And I think the three of us have lived through this before, but we're also people that, that try to analyze and look at what the as you said, Ken, what's that 55 minutes I can spend trying to figure out what is the problem I'm trying to solve? The problem right now is so unknowable and enormous that we are, our brains are focused on it and it's making it really hard to do things like, like I said, a door schedule, you know, <laughs> what I have, I have to get 16 female toilets into this space and I can really only fit 12 and that doesn't even include the ADA. How am I going to make this work? It's really hard to get your brain around those kind of questions when you're in this state of mind right now of pandemic trauma. I mean, it's pandemic trauma. We all have pandemic brain right now. Yeah. I remember talking to someone, I, I think he was uh, actually a psychologist or a therapist, or, or but he was, he was explaining how the average person physically and mentally can only handle a small number exactly. of, of simultaneous crises. So, I mean, we're, we're dealing with, with two uh, historic yes. crises right now. I mean, a, a massive, a massive ep economic recession and yeah. <laughs> a global pandemic. And I mean, those are two things. I mean, how much more can most people take on right now? I mean, all it, I mean, and, and then I'm also seeing, I mean, you know, just the other day, my, you know, my sister lives in uh, Halifax and they had this, you know, this shooting. Oh thing. my God, that terrible shooting. Yeah. that I mean, and oh. it's a very small community. And she was telling me about how, you know, this, the community is like just struggling so hard right now. And it's like, I can't even imagine. I mean, you hear about these stories still, life is still going on. There's still crazy shit that's happening. And to be able to just even take on yeah. daily, typical, stressful issues right now on top of what, what we're dealing with as, as a, you know, in the globally is is a lot to ask for. Yeah. As my sister put it, you give yourself like three tasks you want to get done every day. And at least one of them has to be like, I'm folding the laundry that I'm going to get the laundry folded. And that will be something I accomplished on my list today. And you just you just have to be easy on yourself because, yeah, dealing with this much stress and this many unknowns, it, it's it's incredibly taxing on your mental and physical energy. So because architects in particular and architecture school, we've talked about the culture of architecture school. We've been taught from the beginning that you should just work through it. Just stay, pull that all nighter, you know, stay up all night. 
do the 72 hours in a row to get the project done because that's what matters. We have been so trained to believe that we are superhuman and we can do everything. And we just, we just can't. And I just want our listeners who to know that they need to give themselves a break. They need to just cut themselves a little bit of slack right now. <laughs> yeah. I, and you know, and I, I do, I do see people kind of getting to a place where they're, they're kind of reprioritizing things in their lives, you know, and one of the points of one of the reasons that we're having this episode was also to introduce a number of conversations that we had with members of our of the architecture community about how they're dealing with this with this issue and one of the one of the themes that came up a lot was that people were using this time to really mm-hmm. reevaluate their lives you know and and uh, i mean it's it's an opportunity to kind of clear the clear your plate and and look at what what you prioritize in life. I mean, I know that a lot of people have been questioning their decision about, you know, their career decisions, their 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 lifestyles, their how hard they've been working, you know, whether whether or not that's all really worth it, their choice of, you know, where they're living. There have been people that we talk to that have been spending this quarantine time in rural areas outside of the city that they normally live in and wondering if they're if they ever really want to go back. Because, you know, the the uh, the quality of life is different there and they've they've been able to kind of reflect on that. So, I mean, it is a time that I think that we're being given. I mean, and a lot of these conversations are kind of can be interpreted in many ways because there's a lot of these conversations that are popping up that clearly involve some level of luck or, you know, position in life where you can see the positive. I mean, there are millions of people out there like that don't have the the luxury of of uh of relaxing and reflecting on the positive things because they're struggling to a point where it's 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 too much to to handle but yeah i mean i think that is it is it is an opportunity to to kind of take a break and and not force yourself to to continue at the pace that you had been prior to to this quarantine and and to to just reevaluate <laughs> Yeah, they the the people that that I was able to the architects I was able to talk with were by and large going through a lot of the same emotions. I I, I I've been feeling like I'm the only I, the way I was saying this to some of the some of the people uh, the architects I was talking to. I said, you know, when you, when this first happens, and I said, I know it sounds crazy, but it felt like it was happening to me. That's how personal it felt. It felt like this what was going on right now was only happening, and that's how like weirdly our brains are mired in this. Is that it felt like I was being attacked by something, and I felt it felt very personal, and it felt very much like nobody understands, nobody can understand. But everyone I talked to had very much the same emotions starting early on, and have reached a place much in the same way that that I have, where they found a a corona normal. Where, okay, they've stopped the fall. They're not, okay, we're going to be okay. Yep, here's here's what's going to happen. Just put one foot in front of the other. We're going to get through this, and I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. And that's kind of where most of the people are right now that I talk to. And some of them are doing some amazing work. Some of them have done amazing work and found themselves in some some weird circumstances. But they're all making it through this period, just you know, working every single day. Finding those moments that you talked about, that Donna talked about, finding space for reflection, doing a lot of personal evaluation, growing, learning new softwares, um, taking on, you know, reevaluating how their skills could affect someone's day-to-day life when they're, you know, the one woman I talked to out of um, who's living in Brooklyn, she's, you know, she's taking her skills as an architect and helping young families find a way to reorganize their spaces now that they're home with their children and thinking about how to organize to get better situated so when they get on the other side of it they'll have a a plan in place they'll have a system they'll have a routine so she's helping them do that so just the small things and that's the kind of the thing that i appreciate about us as a profession is that the way we architect our way out of this is by solving problems that people have immediately in the now in the moment Architecture is such a grinding thing. It takes months and oftentimes, many times years before we f- see the realization of, a, of our ultimate, of our product. But these people that I talk to are working in this moment, solving real problems for people 
in real time. And that to me is that's where the profession is going to be heading in the future. It's going to be people like Alvin and people like um, the young woman from that you'll hear on the podcast from Brooklyn solving problems that are occurring right now. Yeah. And one of the other things that came up a lot in the conversations was how this is a time to really look at the deficiencies of our of our industry and the the sustainability and the and the uh value on on health and wellness of of the people in that work in architecture you know architecture is a very vulnerable industry and these uh recessions can really push us back many steps you know and like how can we how can we kind of move forward increase the value the, the recognized value of architecture as an industry so that architects can be paid more so companies can make more money they can they can compensate their their workers better provide better working hours better conditions more vacation time you know one of my conversations was with an architect that he's an american architect that has spent the last 10 years working in beijing and berlin and he also worked in the us before that and he said that you know china and the us are just at the extreme level in terms of you know working their their staff to the mm-hmm. to their limits in in germany as as with most of europe it's a much healthier balance of of personal life and and work life and you don't see a negative impact from that in in europe i mean they 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 seem to they seem to have kind of figured that out um you know i think this is a time where we can really kind of look at ways that that when things get back to normal, how things can change to to provide just a healthier healthier lifestyle and a healthier healthier workplace for people um, everywhere, especially in the architecture industry. So we've had a great conversation. You heard me rant. Everybody heard <laughs> me rant. But what we didn't hear is um, since you're making so much time for everybody and your families and stuff like that, I'm sure you've picked up a lot of reading. So what have you been reading lately or listening to? What are you reading? Listening <laughs> I'm listening to, to a ton of podcasts and. When I need to get work done, I have started on my iPhone just listening to my music, starting at the song that starts with A and listening alphabetically through every song. It's just kind of a way to like keep track of how, <laughs> how many days I've, I've been doing this. So it's been like, like 18 days now of listening to my song list alphabetically. I've been, <laughs> what have I been reading? I just started recently the book called Bell Canto. B-E-L-C-A-N-T-O, Bel Canto. It was quite popular several mm-hmm. years ago. Um, beautifully written, slow and yeah. and and lovely. Um, and yeah, I I read fiction for the most part. That's what I read. I read fiction. I read stories to take me out of my life. Paul, what about you? Well, I have been reading like nonstop throughout every day, just with work. So at the end of the day, I have not been reading. I've been I've been uh, indulging in TV, <laughs> movies, <laughs> shows. But uh, in terms of listening, I got I got suckered into one of these uh, Facebook uh, oh, share yeah, your uh-huh. your top albums, the uh-huh. most influential yeah. albums uh, of your life. So I actually that was really fun. I mean, I don't usually I don't usually uh, do these social kind of uh, chain things. So I've been listening. I've been re-listening to a lot of these albums. It was a really fun. It was a really fun uh, practice of like looking back and and uh, seeing what what inspired your music taste the most. I can kind of just go through those albums that I that I shared, starting with the first day. It was Paul's Boutique by Beastie Boys, which was one of the most uh, amazing albums at the time. Aphex Twins selected Ambient Works uh, eighty five to ninety two. That was. Huge for me, Nirvana's Bleach, Boards of Canada, Music Has the Right to Children, Police, Zenyatta Mandata. I mean, all, all of the old police, I just uh, absolutely love. Uplift Mofo Party Plan. Especially Don't Stand So Close to Me. I've been hearing that at my, at my co-op. Everywhere. Oh, my God. Every well, time I go to the grocery store, that's what I hear. Yeah. After, I, after I shared that album, I realized that the tracks on that album, it's like they were designed for this time. There's Don't Stand, Clo- uh, Don't Stand So Close to Me. <laughs> When the world is running down, you make the uh-huh. best of what's still around. Uh, oh my God. Canary in a coal mine and voices inside my head. So it, oh. they all they all resonated. Oh shit! We got a uh, uplift mofo party plan by Red Hot Chili Peppers. Nick Drake's uh, Pink Moon. Led Zeppelin three. Sonic Youth's Goo. And uh, 
music for airports mm. by Brian Eno. Those were my 10 uh, influential music picks. And in terms of TV, I've been watching Devs, which is uh, super interesting so far. Um, I saw <laughs> my mom convinced me to watch this uh, docu-series <laughs> called Don't Fuck With Cats no. on Netflix, which have you guys heard of this? No. It is. It is. Uh, it'll suck you in if you get started. It's really disturbing because it's about it's about these it's about these people on Facebook that come together to basically try to find this person who is posting Aww. videos on YouTube of like himself Aww. torturing kittens, and then it goes beyond that. And and it's it's amazing. They find out who this guy is way before the police ever end up having to investigate this guy. But it's it's fascinating. <laughs> Of course, Tiger King, yeah, which is, <laughs> and then a lot of a lot of good good classic movies. I've been, you know, we've been spending a lot more time watching movies together as a family. And when we started, when this quarantine started, I made a I made a very strict rule with my kids that we're not going to watch junk. We have to watch good stuff. So so we've been trying to trying to keep the quality high. Ken, what have you been keeping busy with entertainment wise? Um. So I've been listening to books on Audible, and I've been trying to listen to, it's just hard, but uh, Ulysses and the Plague. So listening mm. to James Joyce and <laughs> and um, and Albert Camus. Um, and then on for music, I've been, I mean, I've played this a few times now. Fiona Apple's new record is fantastic. Strokes, going back to Sleater Kinney, yeah. Brad satchel that strokes album's good yeah so i've been listening to a lot of different stuff and throughout the day i'll put on like philip glass on on itunes and just let it play all of this all philip glass's stuff so i listen to that (laughs) but then i've been did you know that philip glass is is uh, related to ira glass yes from this american i was the nephew right i think Very funny. Mm-hmm. And then I've been gearing up for a pro- uh, personal project, and uh, I've been taking books that are going to uh, impact that project and kind of al- uh, getting them on my shelf so I can have a so I know where my source material is. So yeah, doing stuff like that and buying art and hanging art. <laughs> been buying a lot of art lately too. That's good. Nice, Donna. I noticed that Brian was uh, documenting the artwork around your house. Yes, he did a uh, Instagram art tour of our collection because you can't. We were supposed to go to New York the first week in April for Angus's, my son's college visits. We had all these great visits lined up with Juilliard and Columbia and NYU and AMDA, and it just it it fell apart. And so, since we couldn't go to New York and see art, Brian just documented the art that's in our house. We actually got a pretty fantastic collection, honestly. <laughs> I know. It's amazing. I love it. <laughs> Every room has something yeah. in it. <laughs> yep. That was fun to watch. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I think these these ways that people are finding of connecting with on Instagram with, you know, with hap- I had a happy hour tonight with my work people and it these are just new ways we're all going to have of connecting and and living our lives in this uh in this quarantine environment that we live in yeah so yeah i mean before we finish i want to just quickly plug i mean speaking of of what you're talking about you know we recently uh released this virtual event guide on our connect that kind of is intended to make sense of all the different opportunities for people to connect online through virtual events and one of the things that we're that we're planning on doing is is hosting some events that could either be fun social professional networking maybe support groups even so we we're looking for we're looking for uh suggestions from the community about some ideas of of reasons i know everybody's getting a little burnt out on zoom and and being on on screens anyways which i totally feel and and uh can empathize with but you know still people do need connection especially at a time like this and uh, it looks like the only options we have are through digital interfaces so yeah, you should check that out and let us know if you have any ideas of of how to uh, how you'd like to connect with fellow architects and community members. And I just, I, I mean, I can't say it often enough that right now in the moment we're in, I think people are feeling very isolated. And I think probably a lot of architects are feeling like they are doing something wrong and this wouldn't have happened to them if they hadn't. It's not architecture as a discipline. It's not anyone's 
fault. It's this, the, this, this is so reminiscent of 2008 when suddenly everyone found themselves in a new world. And that's just, we've, we were there before. This is similar in some ways, different in others, but we'll get through this one as well. <laughs> and we'll, uh, you know, and we'll, we'll keep going. And hopefully the outcomes from this will, as you said, Paul, I, I think people are starting to appreciate things like, yeah, walking their dog, having time with their kids, having, uh, you know, th- those things that really matter. I hope that those will become more forefronted as we come through this eventually. Yeah. And, and I truly hope that we're going to come out of this with uh, the tools and the, and the knowledge to make the architecture industry a more healthy and sustainable industry to work in. You know, and I think this is a time to think about how to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, it was great talking to you guys. Thanks, you guys. Nice to catch up. Yeah. I know that, you know, we've been catching up a little separately. Uh, nice to catch up. Online, uh, but good to good to be on another episode with you guys. And uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll leave these conversations that we're planning on releasing today to the next episode. Which will uh, which will be coming out in a few days. So for those of you that are still with us, an hour into this conversation, uh, look out for that, <laughs> and uh, you can hear from us then. Sweet. So in the meantime, stay healthy, guys, and uh, stay sane. And we'll white people monies. Yeah. Steal the money from the rich people. <laughs> yeah, that's where it is. All On right. that note, good talking to you guys. Stay safe out there. <laughs> thanks, guys. All right, thanks. Talk to you later.